One. At the start of 2017, I had one on my brain. As I prepared my first sermon, the text of the year, one just wouldn't go away. Not a particular verse, but one. Number one. The word one. And so I started to look up, as I was preparing that sermon, a few verses. One thing I desire from the Lord, says Psalm 27, verse 4, that I may keep company with God forever. In Philippians 3, Paul writes, One thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining to what is ahead, I press on. And then having looked at a number of different verses, carefully at each one, I was being drawn to the idea which focused on being single-minded. Focused. And I came up with the verse of the year, where Jesus says, Love the Lord your God with all your passion and prayer and intelligence. This is the most important, the first on any list. And I said then, it's a very practical, not just a pious thought, it's one that's meant to touch our lives deeply. It's about keeping the main thing, the main thing. It's not just a text for individuals, but as a church. What does it mean for us, collectively, not just a bunch of individuals, to love the Lord our God with all our passion, prayer and intelligence to make this the most important the first on any list well today we're looking at a very different scripture but one comes over again and again Jesus wanted those who belong to him to be as one to be united in purpose and to keep the main thing the main thing and as we participate uh, from today onwards, in the ten days of thy kingdom come, it's good to be looking at a prayer that Jesus prayed, that he prayed for us. The passage from John chapter 17 comes from the prayer Jesus prayed on the very evening before his death. It's plainly a prayer for those who become followers of Jesus during his ministry. But it's equally clear that it extends to encompass all who would become followers of Jesus in the future. And if you get nothing else out of today, he prayed that prayer for you. He happened to make time to pray it for me as well. But he prayed that prayer for you. All of us are included in that prayer. We, if we are Christians, are those whom God the Father has given to Jesus. Those who belong to God and to Jesus. Those whom Jesus asked the Father to take care and transform into one people. I sometimes make you do this. I'm going to make you do it this morning. Just have a look at the people around you. See if you can find a good-looking one out there somewhere.
And if the person next to you is deeply ugly, don't worry about it. He prayed for us, warts and all, that we might be one. These prayers of Jesus are for us. And what more, what's more, we can depend on it that Jesus has never stopped praying that prayer for us. The presence of the ascended Lord in heaven, scars and all, is a perpetual prayer to the Heavenly Father. A prayer for us in our darkest moments. A prayer for us on our brightest days. A prayer for us when hope has gone and when joy is reborn. Father, make them one as we are one. And he offers that prayer with scarred hands in the very presence of the Heavenly Father, the ascended reigning Lord of Heaven. Jesus offers that prayer against all the disunity of God's people down the ages. He offers that prayer when two people in APC feel that we can carry on being broken people who disagree with one another and do not make up. He prays that prayer with scarred hands in the presence of the Heavenly Father. May we be one, is his prayer. And every time we live and tolerate and put up with disunity, the prayer of Jesus perpetually is offered to the Father. Please, Father, make us one. The one thing I said at the start of the year, perhaps the only thing that some of us have in common, is that we belong to God through faith in Jesus. That is our core identity. You see, belonging is something that kind of breaks down in modern society. Belonging doesn't sit very well with the kind of freedom and autonomy people appear to want and value. Belonging isn't the kind of relationship that you can opt in and out of to suit. It suggests commitment and being identified with others. It clashes with the individualism of modern society that if you're not, I'm infected by. Many of us find ourselves as a church, as individuals, as families, living very full and busy lives. As I sit down sometimes with folk in our church, I just feel in awe of what they have to cope with and what they live with. And the challenge for us, and there's no judgment in what I'm saying now is, that in all our different things in life that pull us in a million and one different directions, sometimes family life at home suffers. And sometimes our life as God's family suffers. 
gather and go is a theme I've tried to pray as a title will mean something for us because what it means to be God's gathered people needs to regain a new quality here at APC. And if I'm honest, I don't know how to make that happen. I don't know how to make it happen because all the stuff that I'm so busy with militates against being together as gathered people. And all the stuff that you do, none of which is wrong, but it works against sometimes being the gathered people of God. We're not intended for freedom from belonging, but for freedom in belonging. In this past week, I had a 24-hour retreat with a bunch of buddies who are all, well, in the main, Pentecostal ministers. And these guys are such a blessing to me. And one of the things we were talking about and trying to model amongst one another was a thing called multi-generational leadership. We were trying to get our head around what it is that when you've got little kids and old 85-year-olds in the same fellowship, what does it mean to be cheering one another on together? And it wasn't some vague sort of vicar-like conversation about what that would look like. There was a guy there called Paul and another guy called Andy. Paul is now 64. He has pastored the same church for over 30 years. Andy has never known anybody but Paul to be his pastor in over 30 years. Two years ago... Paul began to step aside from being the lead pastor in that church and to give it to this young guy, Andy. A man who'd invested decades in the formation of a large and vibrant church began to release his leadership, only in his early 60s, to this younger man. And Andy said, for some in the church, that was really difficult. They said, but he's our pastor. And Andy had to say to them, yeah, but he was my pastor too. And now, over a period of time, the young guy has taken over. He is the lead pastor. Paul is going to walk with him for another 18 months, a little bit. But in essence... He's stepping right back. So a bunch of Pentecostal pastors and four Anglicans met together talking about multi-generational leadership. We didn't need a book. It was there in front of us. These guys modeled it. And in our very busy lives, where it's frankly really difficult to find time to spend time together, let alone be really one, those two guys model for me at least the value of working stuff through and really helping one church to be one church. And they've done it. And I think there's something in their story that's important for our story. Multi-generational leadership, multi-generational ministry. In this 10 days of prayer, which I happen to have called Gather and Go, the key theme is to be our one life together. God's people, Jesus' people, what that looks like. 
So I want to suggest that we will in these 10 days start to pray, Lord, your kingdom come. And your kingdom come at APC in a way that reshapes us so that we pull together as one church, one team, across the generations. Some of us, frankly, stepping aside over time. Not stepping out of ministry, but stepping into a new ministry. And the young guy said this. Andy said publicly, if it was not because of how Paul had conducted himself for four years, there was no way on God's earth we could have done this transition. A young man steps up to be the next generation as the senior pastor of that church. Something to think about. Of being God's one family. In contrast to looking after number one, on number one individualism, there has to be generosity and sharing. In place of the culture and blame and recrimination and scapegoating, in society and in the church, there has to be relational compassion and forgiveness. In the face of the commercialization and degradation of sexuality, there has to be chastity, where two become as one in married love. Instead of the exploitation and destruction of the earth, there has to be love and care for all of God's creation. And Donald Trump, you cannot hold out on that. The one key point is the thoroughly positive one. That Christians find their core identity in Jesus and Jesus alone. And so one of the things these guys said was this. If we have spent years working at something, if we have a vision for something, if that vision is our identity, we are in serious trouble. Our identity has to be secure in Jesus. And those are not pious words. Because what it means is that when your identity in Jesus, you can walk away from a ministry and even a particular vision. And you can still be intact and the person God wants you to be. The way of Jesus' followers is the way of Jesus himself. The Jesus of the gospel who moved freely wherever his love was needed. And to belong to Jesus requires the courage to be distinctive and yet different like Jesus for the sake of the world. And to belong to Jesus sets us free as Christians to be in the world where people need us, where God needs us without succumbing to the false gods that would otherwise ensnare us. So what's clear from this prayer is that belonging to God is not about belonging to a chummy club. In this little group that I'm now a part of, I don't lead it, I'm a part of, we are wrestling with and trying to work through why seven people should gather together with express intention of growing one another to maturity as disciples, to give ourselves away. To give ourselves away for the enrichment of God's church and God's world. That, for me, is the model of every small group. We may become lifelong friends. 
and we may not. And it won't matter because our core identity is in Jesus. In the prayer, Jesus says that as the Father sent him into the world, so now he sends us into the world. To belong to Jesus is to take part in his mission from God to the world, to live out divine love for the world, to gather and to be gathered as one, but then to go. Never content when the gathering is so rich, so beautiful, so amazing, that you don't want to part from one another. What you do after today is as equally important as what we do together. Because Jesus has prayed that we who are to be one will represent him in the world tomorrow. Now perhaps you can see why Jesus in this prayer does not start with praying for the world, but for his disciples. It is because he's at this point entrusting himself and his ministry to the likes of you and me. Jesus never forgets the world or writes it off. His concern for others takes the form here in John 17 of praying for his disciples to be faithful in making known and passing on his love to others. <coughs> Natural evangelism is not a ragbag community of individuals, but one family cheering each other on to see if we can't share Jesus wherever we go, day by day. Not running a program as a church, not having some great group that's going to do it for us, not employing an evangelist, but being a people who cheer one another on as we share the love, the life of Jesus in our daily existence. We are to gather and go. And this ten days of prayer is simply a time where we play with those twin themes on our knees before God. Where we discover afresh what it is to be one people who nonetheless have a life separate from one another during the week where we share our faith with others. To sum this up, how then are we to belong to Jesus as a community of Christians managing the calling to be all different from one another and yet involved? There are two ways you can be different. One is to focus on drawing boundaries between us and everybody else out there. And that just turns the church into a sect. The other way is to be different by focusing not on the boundaries, but on the one true centre that makes us different. And that is Jesus. The stronger our commitment to him at the centre, the greater can be our openness to others. The more you are secure in Jesus, the more you can be in the darkest place on God's earth and shine for him. And our involvement with others <clears throat> therefore has to be sustained from our belonging to Jesus. His love helps us to reach out to others, to come alongside them, to be where they need us to be when our faithfulness to the strong centre of our lives is focused upon Jesus. I want to say, folks, Jesus asks a lot of his friends. He asks such a lot for you and from you. He asks you to do things that I've not got the nerve to ask. 
He asks you to be one. To be a friendly neighbourhood godsend that makes a difference wherever you go. And so far in Jesus' prayer in John 17, we listened as he prayed for himself. He prayed that the Father would glorify the Son as he glorifies the Father by facing the cross and providing eternal life. Next, Jesus prayed for his disciples that they may be transformed, that they may carry on the mission of Jesus in the world. And as he prayed that prayer, he basically got 12 guys waiting around the corner. Humanly speaking, he mustn't have felt very hopeful. Father, I know them and you know them. So make them one. And that's why in verses 20 to 23, Jesus prays for all of his friends to be one. Why? So that the world may believe. I'm going to read those verses again. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them, this is us guys, may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then, and frankly only then, The world will know that you sent me and has loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus prayed for us all to believe in Christ through the one gospel delivered by the apostles decades, centuries, millennia away. It's the gospel alone, the good news of God's love in Jesus that can take a wayward, selfish bunch of people and unite us in Christ for a common task to bless the world. The people of Manchester this week have been an inspiration to all of humanity. Like the guy who was a nurse found what was going on and ran to the context and his daughter was at that concert. He checked she was okay and he went straight into hospital and he did a full shift. I would never ask a human being to do that. Jesus asks us to do things that I would never ask of you as a church. And he does so as he says, I want you to be one. So absolutely sold out in purpose for the kingdom of God. That you will do things you haven't got the courage you believe you can do. And you will be set apart as a people to be a transforming presence in Jesus. And as humanity alone, without any claim for faith in some cases, have demonstrated to the world a people a city working together in the most dreadful adversity. If Jesus prayed for you and me, best we get on with it. What is this likeness then to look like? Well, Jesus in his prayer gets a bit theological. So you'll bear with me as I try to explain him here. 
God the Father and God the Son are one in heart and purpose. The Lord Jesus says this in John 5.19. Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only when he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. The Father and the Son are not competing bits of God, but two parts of the Godhead operating with one heart and one purpose. Now, I tried to explain that on the other course the other week. I fluffed it. But the drift is, God is one in three persons, utterly committed to saving the world. And he says, just as we're like that, let my church be like that. We are to be one in essence and substance. We, are never, we will never be God. We will never be close to him in that sense. But we can committed to all he wants us to be and to do. We may not always see eye to eye. But he prayed that even when we have a difference with one another, our oneness will win through. We should be one in heart and purpose. And so I read as I close a beautiful passage of scripture, Philippians 2, 1 to 4. This is to be, if you like, the portrait of the beautiful people of Aldridge Parish Church. Whatever happens... Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to those that uh, they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but to suffer for him. Therefore, people of God, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, Andy and Paul. Not looking to your own interests, but to each to the interests of the others. That is a portrait of the Church of Christ. It matters that you and I are transformed to be one because it's the only authentic way in which other people will come to see that the gospel works. Only as a bunch of Christians who frankly shouldn't even be in the same room together, we are so different. Only as we become one in Jesus do others begin to see just maybe there's a God and he can pull together a bunch of people and make them so one in heart and mind and purpose. Best I get on side. Best I get on side. It's put differently in Jesus' prayer, he says, that they may be one, that the world may believe. But that's why he prayed. Lord, as we begin as a church to engage with gather and go, frankly, most of us haven't got enough time, Lord, to spend much time with one another. Our lives are so full. Help us to find a new way of gathering. 
Help us to relationally become one, to heal the wounds that divide us at times, to put aside the bickering so that we may be one that the world may believe. Lord Jesus, we are in awe that you have prayed that prayer for us. We are in awe after Ascension Day that we have a picture of you enthroned in heaven, scars and all. And your presence in heaven now is a perpetual prayer for each and every one who will believe. Thank you, Jesus, for praying for me. Thank you, Jesus, for praying in heaven for every person in this room. Please help us to be an answer to your prayer.